0: She's...
1: Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. This episode, well, as it's in Christmassy mood, is going to be a bit lighthearted than, you know, in the usual episodes, so to speak. But, then again, sometimes you have to talk about the good things. And what drew me towards this is the fact that everyone who has, like, this deep nostalgia towards the Soviet regime and everything that happened there, people tend to remember, you know, the good parts of everything. And one of the good parts was the ice cream. The ice cream was thick, and it felt sort of fatty, I suppose, because there are a few words how I can describe a taste of something. But this Soviet ice cream, the white one, the vanilla one, has stayed in the memories of a lot of people, including myself, as, you know, we had it in the 90s as well. It's something that has stuck with us for a long while, and we never even think where that came from, ...and what happened with it and why even we considered that thing to be tasty. And after my previous episodes, a lot of people wrote to me asking about... ...you know, there were a lot of good things about the Soviet Union and all that stuff. And I thought, well, what made this Soviet ice cream so special? And for unknown reasons, I just went into some deep ends and looked at... ...according to what regulations they were made, like standards of everything... Because one thing led to another, and I just thought that we should look at Gosudarstvennye общесоюзные Standarty, like state, universal, all Soviet standards. Goste, as they were known, from государственные общесоюзные стандарты, G-O-S-T. And again, uh, this made me think about various standards that they had, and how it led to the deep end, and there's some interviews and, and talking to people as well about this. And it turns out that, like I always say, if you look at how everyday lives are lived and how you go through the motions and, and all the little stuff that you maybe not even know at the time and you don't even notice, they change a lot. And they give you a more understanding of what you can see in your everyday life and how things change sometimes and how we have... ...actually better standards than we might sometimes follow. This whole thing is a very interesting matter and sometimes... ...sometimes strange and sometimes still weird because I also read about... ...a lot of times about how people avoided these standards and how they were... ...not observed as carefully as they should have been. But altogether they paint a nice picture about the everyday lives of Soviet people. And hey, I think it's worth enough to explore since we still have standards to this day. We have ISO. I remember back in the day it was 9000, but now it's 9000 and something. You know, all these various regulations that somehow unnoticeably regulate our lives in general. So let's take a deep dive into Soviet standards of, well, everything, and how they impacted people's lives and decisions and how people tried to avoid them. For this episode... I'm mostly using the article written by an academician of Russia, Leonid Ashkenazi. He uh, apparently is a scientist who mostly does physical and mathematical sciences. Or so his title says. I mean, I'm not really sure, but still. Most of us here have seen on a variety of products and literally everything. Rulers, soldering irons, milk cans, the last ones for us, though. Yeah, we, we, we've seen a lot of these weird standards on there. So, what are these, and why do they matter? See, standard for everything, in its most general form, is a description of any class of objects, and it's an instruction or guidance to those who will prove, produce and use this project how to do these things. I'm sorry for this basic explanation, but hey, it's, I suppose, what you have to start with. As a rule, the standard refers specifically to the class of objects, which can be from blackboards to rockets to varieties and types of butter, or drawings or technological maps, and not a separate object. Although, it's often said that there exists a thing like a programming language standard or whatever, but there's mostly talk about loose concepts. For some applications, more information is needed, for some, quite a bit less. In practice, the content of the standard is determined by mostly tradition, and it's determined by, well, whatever is common. The most usual needs of the people who will apply the subject or make it, or something of that sort. This is not a technological instruction how to produce it, and often things are made with better standards. And again, using this article, because it will slowly get to the Soviet, specifically Soviet part of all the situation... But um, all of this is just the minimum required to produce well whatever is being produced, and these standards differ wildly. And the most recent ones in Russia were adopted after the old ghosts, which I'm talking about, had been you know cancelled by Dmitry Medvedev, which has um, caused some issues, to say the least, among the populace. And of course, standards differ like everything else, in several parameters, according to the class of objects, and according to specific objects, and be they measurement or control methods and documentation, or various food products, or non-food products, according to the scope of the standards, but everything differs, but they exist, and government regulates a lot of things. However, in the Soviet Union, basically there were standards for mostly everything. And this is because, well... How did you survive in this whole Soviet Union system where everything was planned with the standards? And now I'm going to do a bit of a direct quote here. See, because when we talk about the Soviet Union, we have to remember that we're talking about a system. Because people don't understand what planned economy really is. A lot of you probably have learned at school or someplace else, or maybe on my show even, that uh, we had standards for everything and everything was centrally planned. However, what everything actually means is a bit of a different story. knowing, so I'm going to give you a quote from my academician about how the system actually worked. And this is going to be a long quote, so at the end quote, a sexy tone is going to be at the beginning maybe. But hey, Soviet standardization, even of podcasting comrades. Yeah Nidoshkenazi writes. When I worked at the Ministry of Electrical Industry and in the Economic Council, I had to represent many times in the Goss Standard, the organization that set the standards at the state level, the very same GOS that this episode is about, the start of the standard developer, if the product belonged to the specialization of the Ministry of Our Industry. At the meeting of the Goss Standard Collegium, which approves of the standards, this whole thing is presented by the Goss Standard Department, which considered the project with the participation of the developer and consumers. This department tried in every possible way to reduce the number of errors and disagreements with which the project was presented at the meeting of the board, because obviously there were meetings and disagreements every time. But even in the absence of disagreement at the meeting, there could be surprises. For example, when the standard for contractors' electrical equipment was approved, the department presented the standard without controversy. Chairman of GOSS Standard, then Andrei Yerofeevich Vyatkin, before the verdict, always ask a question addressing both the members of the Gost Standard Collegium and the representatives of the supplier and consumer invited for this talk. Who has any comments? And then, in my opinion, a representative of Glavsev Morput, main directorate of the Northern Sea Route, stands up, and says that he categorically objects to the approval of this standard, since for contractors the permissible ambient temperature is indicated from minus 25 Celsius and we have nine months a year that the temperature is lower. Andrei Yerofevich says, Indeed, what then to put on a fur coat in the contractors? Return the project for revision. Everything. Next question. I participated in the work of all departments so many times that even I received a diploma on the occasion of the 40th anniversary of Standardization in the Soviet Union, and knew all sorts of stories related to the standards. Here's one that came in handy for me. It was probably in 1954, maybe 1955, and the apparatus of the Council of Ministers, which was located in the building on the Red Square, was sharply reduced, and the building began to be repaired for revolutionary use. You know, mostly party use, I suppose, in this case, because at that point, revolutionary use could Mean a lot of things, but he says revolutionary use. I probably translate it to party usage, I suppose. During the time that has passed since the 20s and perhaps in the revolutionary years, some display windows were broken and there were wooden checkered frames in which ordinary sized window panes were inserted. For pairs, you needed to have these large display glasses and you know, all the panes and everything. On the surviving glass in the corner with the hydrofluoric acid the data of manufacturers such as Drushkov Glass Factory had been etched into. The organization conducting the repairs of GUM products had uh, asked this plant and contacted it and got an answer from them that it was impossible to make glasses of this size. Then they were asked, well, how was it that you could make this glass for our windows before the revolution and now you couldn't anymore? But the answer was kind of stunning. Yes, we did produce this glass before the revolution, but now our machinery has been worn out and uh, there is no gosh, you know, the standard for windows of this size, so it was written off and now we can't make such glass panes anymore. Like, we could buy them in France, but it's not easy to get the money for it, so the question went to the Council of Ministers. And in addition to allocating currency, Vyatkin was reprimanded for shortcomings in the standard for this whole matter. Now, several years passed in the meantime. The standard for electrical steel for the magnetic cores of electrical machines and transformers is submitted for approval by the state standard. They considered that a bit, and after considering a project developed by metallurgists, it was possible for the standard Department to agree on all controversial issues except for one. The maximum sheet size for high-silicon transformer steel. The electrical industry demanded 1,000 by 2,000 millimeters, that is, the same maximum size that was envisioned for low-silicon steel, the so-called dynamo steel. It was possible to make transformer former steel in sheets of required size, but the metallurgists had difficulties. High-silicon steel was brewed, literally brewed, I mean... Sorry for the weird thing, but this is how this whole thing has been translated into English, and sometimes it surprises me as well. By the Vierchnie Istewski plant, whose rolling mill could not produce a width of more than 750 mm. And the Zaporozhye plant, which had a thousand millimeter mill, and they cooked only low-silicon steel. Which means that you can make it in one place and roll it into another. And it doesn't work. The Minotology Department of Gostandert prepared the decision of the board on the approval of the standard without taking into account the requirements of the electrical industry. Now, this is kind of a bit of a telling thing of um, what we're going to look at in this episode, because, oh yeah, this stuff happens. If we would be living by the standards set in the USSR, I bet that we all be eating the famous soy ice cream and living much more better.
0: Hello there. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of the Eastern Border. We are so happy to announce that this episode is brought to you by our friends at russansov.com. If you're looking to buy new art, don't forget to use the code EASTERNBORDER for a discount on us. Remember, head over to rusensov.com and happy shopping! If, however, you want to support our show directly, head over to patreon.com or our website theeasternborder.lv to find out how you can help out. For all things Eastern Border, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Discord. And as always, thank you so much for supporting us. We really appreciate each and every one of you. That's all from me now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by russianvoiceovers.eu. Enjoy.
1: The history of standardization in the Soviet Union began in September 1925, when the Committee for Standardization, the GOS Standard, was created by the decree of the Council of People's Commissars under the Council of Labour and Defence. Because, well, at that point, Labour and Defence were the same thing, really. Submission to this authority was not accidental, since this question was super important and had to be resolved easily. How useful and safe a product and food and anything else could be for humans and could be used for the Red Army. These were more pressing issues at the time, so of course the first document that was published, the OST-1, was called wheat, selective grain varieties. Later documents had the following form of GOST and 5-letter number, 2-letter number. For example, gas-shielded arc welding, welded joints, rules for those. Moreover, the last two digits of this indicated the year when the number was adopted. And the document whole came into power. It is curious that if the old ghost thing was withdrawn from circulation at all, that this number was no longer assigned to the new one. Withdrawal of ghost occurred in the event that a previously certified product after some time ceased to be produced on an industrial scale. For example, there was a standard of clamp, horse harness. Since the number of ghosts continued to grow, by 1941, there was 8,600 of them, it was necessary to create a very kind of deep system. A kind of a guidebook, with which, you know, you could find the required document. Although, these days, that's... um, extremely hard. And that is how the classifier of state standards of the Soviet Union with a strictly hierarchical alphanumeric code system was born. For example, there is a heading of this besides condensed milk and ice cream and various meats, but then we also have exhibit A mining engineering, minerals, which include the general ores and regulations for mining, or A3, metallic minerals slash ores. Despite the seemingly iron logic of this whole standard thing, there were shortcomings in the matter of standardization. For example, various amendments were made to ghost at various times. A lot of things were sensible in these products, and like I said, if everything was made according to them, then plans would be fulfilled and everything would be nice. Except sometimes, like you probably heard in previous episodes, yeah, the standards were so high that you couldn't physically make products and quantities large enough to do the plans so well, people occasionally just drop the plans, and um, lower quality products TM were put in place to just fulfill the plan, and carry on doing, you know, what they had been doing previously, just to fulfill this whole affair of planning because people wanted to, you know live and endure whatever difficulties came up to them, and um, yeah, a lot of specialists who were intended to work on these plans or just, you know, leading positions and kind of factories, but not the very leading, you know, mid-level managers basically wanted to show that their superiors, that they did not receive a salary for nothing, and that they were actually mattering in the workplace. And uh, so a lot of these ghosts were just invented, various standards and various practices that would lead to better quality, at least on paper, or just justified because Well, some people somewhere who were parts of engineers... Yeah, they had to invent something just so that you could, um, you know... Ensure that you follow the standards and let's make some standards just in case. However, such weird things forced real engineers to puzzle over... The essence of new interpretations of whatever they had to make now... Since, well, even though everyone cheated on them... By basically stealing materials or just trying to fulfill the plans... Well, non-compliance with this GOST standard was criminally punished, starting with 1929. Because technically, yeah, you shouldn't do anything without the GOST, since prison was a um, very real opportunity. Therefore, the employees of the scientific and technical information bureaus at the enterprises, the people who actually made stuff, having received the sheets with the changes to the GOST, carefully cut them out and pasted them into the corresponding ghosts. Because, you know, if the ghost changes, you just slap over the new changes with care and sometimes pretend that you ignore them, because uh, we have a plan to fulfill. Plus, an errata full of a list of noticed typos was added both in the main document and its amendments. So, after a while, a 20-page brochure on how to make stuff with all the amendments and all the changes and all the let's make another amendment because the previous ones don't work, could change into a rather chubby book. Thus, every ten years, the main standard was revised, and as a result, an updated document with the same number was published, but with amendments with a year's change. However, in parallel with the main document, there were several more, as with everything, official and unofficial ones. There were industrial standards and and technical specifications which were developed in the whole depth of ministry apparatus for products and work relations. if they were not previously recorded in the ghosts. Guess what happened with those? They also were updated by neat ideas of let's make the bosses love me so much that I'm just gonna throw something in there for no reason whatsoever. Because, you know... Indeed, why would an electronic engineer know about the peculiarities of some kind of <clears throat>, spindle of the winder key of a weaving machine, and textile workers about the process of testing microcircuits in the cold using nitrogen? This is a direct quote, by the way. I love this uh, comparison. It's just one of the amazing things that I get from this work. And uh, building codes and rules were a part of these ghosts as well, and they were referenced by Arctis and Foreman. They also belong to the same category. Another type of standards of those times were documents regulating the joint technical activities of the countries of the socialist community. Which meant that, well, for products made in Poland and Czechoslovakia and places like that, yeah, at the end, everyone follows the standard of the Soviet Union. So, we finally get to the ice cream standards of the day. However, I'd like to give shout-out to the bill quickly, because, um, He mentioned Magistracy of Canopus in my webpage, the Facebook one, and um, yeah, always refer to the Battletech fans, because we are one big family, really, if you think about it. The ice cream standards basically declare how any ice cream should be made, either, well, the standard one, milk one, the cream one, or just, you know... Anything that's made with fruit and berries, I presume it's something like of those, you know, juice ones. Or mm, with aromatizers, which, as I was just explained, are the ones with artificial sweeteners. And everyone just states here in these standards that they are made with, well, very specific parts. One of them is waffles, just waffles really. So it's not, it's not determine that you should really uh, show some... ...quality of what's inside the waffles, just the waffles, which is pretty nice. Also, there was a certain procedure of how exactly this whole thing should be mixed together with hand and or literally with a machine. Also, you apparently couldn't sell out of wholesale sales, with the big boxes, the ice cream in any container over 250 grams, and that had its own standards too. Everything was standardized, even the amount of, well, if you're making ice cream with some marmalade in it, then the marmalade content has to be at least 6%. Weirdly enough, one of the strangest things is that in the chocolate ice cream, you can have cocoa powder, no less than 2%, and or chocolate, no less than 6%. Well, apparently, 6% of chocolate in anywhere is well, well enough, but that's still a pretty high number. Also, well, standard ice creams cannot be served or sold anywhere in the Soviet Union, according to Zgost and others, in temperature lower than minus 12 degrees, but the fruit and um, berry ice creams should be served at a temperature of, well, minus 10 degrees. There are a lot of rules there. A ton of rules, most of them, well, we would find funny today. Some of them are just strange, but they all exist, and some of these rules were... As you can see, about the quality and the produce that you could use. Some of them, well, mostly about the production methods. It was weird. And next episode, we're going to look at all the rules that break them. But currently, to be honest, I am just a bit too tired to continue. So, this will have to suffice for now. Ah, because, well, health problems once again during our very cold winter. Let me know about all the situation. What can you do? Anyway standards are a bizarre thing we'll get some more interviews but for now videnye, and i hope you enjoyed the episode
0: thank you for listening to the eastern border show if you have any questions or comments go to our website the and leave a comment there or email us at the at gmail.com we'll be sure to answer you can also follow us on social media and contact us there. If you enjoyed this episode, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about us. It really helps us grow the show. And remember, happiness is mandatory. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.